Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 579 with Horst Schultze. We can be very important, no matter who we are, no matter what we do. We can define ourselves as gentlemen or as ladies if we create excellence in what we are doing. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Everybody loves payday, am I right? But loving your payroll provider, that's a different story. It's a little weird. Still, small businesses across the country love running payroll with Gusto. Gusto automatically files and pays your taxes. It's super easy to use, and you can add benefits and HR support to help take care of your team and keep your business safe. It's loyal, it's modern, and who knows, you might even fall in love. To learn more, head over to gusto.com slash unstoppable. And when you run your first payroll you'll get your first three months free again that's gusto.com slash unstoppable here is a statistic for you 89 percent of all guests will research a restaurant online before dining out so you've got to start thinking about how you can extend your in-house hospitality and attention to detail to the online world bento box is a great place to start they will develop a restaurant website that not only leaves lasting impressions with your guests but also provides hospitality focused tools that are proven to drive revenue online and guests into your restaurant Sign up today at getbento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. Get on it. I'm sure you've heard of Revel, but have you heard of the Revel Advantage? It is the payment processing solution that seamlessly integrates into your Revel point of sale and platform to create a complete system tailored to your business needs. Revel manages both your POS and your payments with integrated software, hardware, and credit card processing to save you time and money so you can focus on your business. Learn more at revelsystems.com slash unstoppable. So with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest. He hails from a small German town, and he knew from the age of five that he wanted to work in the hotel industry. So he got his start, like many of us do, as a dishwasher. From there, he worked his way up, climbing to the top, traveling the world, working in five-star hotels. And in 1983, he co-founded the Ritz-Carlton and single-handedly set the standard for the service industry going forward. Obviously, this is a brief introduction, but with no further ado, Horse Schulze. Horse, my man, are you feeling unstoppable today? I, I, I do, but I have to correct you right now. I didn't do single-handed anything. There were many people who were involved doing it. You know what? This is really interesting because when I read that in your bio, um, I said to myself, I guarantee you I'm going to read this intro and he's going to correct me because the true leaders in the world know that they don't get anywhere on their own. And I'm so happy Absolutely. that you, you you totally corrected me and I was waiting for you to do it. So that's just kind of a, a, oh, great. a, a yeah. testament to the kind of character of the man we're talking to right now. So I like to start every interview off with a success quote or mantra to get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling. What do you have for us? Well, uh, my, my mantra is to, uh, to do things right, to be excellent at what you're doing, no matter what it is in life. That's yes. what, the, what the key mantra is. To, why waste time of just doing something? Why not have the objective 
then whatever it is you're doing, if it is work, if it's relationship, if it's marriage, whatever it is, do, do it with excellence. Yes. What a great way to get this thing started. And that's kind of the, the mantra of your book of just showing up with excellence. It's not enough to do everything. You've got to do it with excellence. And we're going to dive more into your book uh, later in the interview. But yeah. I, I kind of want to, I mean, I'm sure most of the people listening to this podcast have heard of your name, have heard of the Ritz Carlton. Uh, but many of us might not know your backstory, how you got into the industry. It's a really kind of inspiring uh, story. So why don't you start with when you knew you were going to commit your life to this industry? Well, there's another correction. I, I wasn't five. I was 11 years old when I went to my parents. I don't know why. For some reason, I must have read something. I don't know. <laughs> Living in a small village, we didn't, there was no hotel. There was no restaurant. Yeah, there was a little wine house and a beer house. But I, I went to my parents and said, I want to work in the hotel business, in the restaurant business. And, and that was nearly embarrassing to them because at that time in Germany, you, you, you went for uh, If I would have said, Carpenter, that would have been honorable. Of course, engineer, that would have been really special and so on. So on. they were nearly embarrassed about it. But I kept on insisted, kept on begging for it. So they looked around and found the best beginner job in the best hotel in the region. Unfortunately, that was 100 kilometers away. At that time, that was very far. So they found that job. I, and so with 14, I left home and moved to that hotel, lived in a dorm room, and worked in the restaurants of that hotel as a waiter and cook apprentice, busboy. We did everything. We cleaned shoes. We didn't only work in the kitchen. We worked everywhere. So what was the first, that, what was it like in the beginning? Was it what, what you had imagined it would be? Was it harder than you thought it was going to be? Were you surprised? No, no. I I, I, I was excited. I, I You know, and, and I have to, in the check here and say, when my parents took me there, because it was such a good hotel, they all told me, well, told me for weeks, this is a hotel where we could never go. Only very important people go there. So behave yourself accordingly. It's a beautiful hotel. It's a be- so when I got there, the general manager told us the same thing. But being there in a great surrounding, and it, it, it was excitement. It was like for somebody else, maybe a movie set. I don't know. It was just exciting to be there and start working. I was nervous and scared. But then the main beginning was working in the restaurant as a busboy, if you will, and working with the waiters. And that kind of formed me. And of course, typical German upbringing that in, in all professions, I worked. And once a week, you go to a trade school, in this case, hotel school, where many other kids went from the restaurants and hotels around the area. And that is kind of a key element of my background. After two years in that school, the teacher asked us what we now think about the hotel and restaurant business. And when I went back working in the restaurant that evening, cleaning tables, I observed for the, for the first time I realized, and I've seen it before, but the first time I realized when our maitre D, who was a person of true excellence, True excellence. When he approached a table, the guests were proud that he came there. And, and that was a reversal, mind you. Everybody told me, everybody, guest is important. We are not, we are servants and so on. And when I noticed that in every table, and the recognition that the guest thought he was the most important person in the room, so did we, the employees. When I wrote my essay, 
I contemplated that and wrote about it. And I, I, I said, we can be very important, no matter who we are, no matter what we do. We can define ourselves as gentlemen or as ladies if we create excellence in what we are doing. And I wrote that essay about us in service. We can be excellent. Mind you, that was very important to me because everybody in the village was laughing at me when I said I work in hotel business. But I now saw how I can define myself as excellent, as important. So I, I wrote that essay, and it was kind of an impact on my life because I got an A in my essay, which I never had had before and never afterwards. So the only A ever impacted me, obviously, so it stayed with me. Yes. And, and this, this thought of by doing things excellent, you can define yourself as a person of excellence. Yes. And no, matter, no matter what that is. And that stood with me. And that matter D had so much impact on me. And I went on to done the work in the finest hotels in Europe and always in food and beverage. Can I, can I, can yeah. I stop you right there just to reflect and kind of marinate in this moment in your life? I think there's yeah. some layers we can pull back and really dive deep. I think you, you identified the significance of uh, really understanding that success in this life isn't about going outward and putting your energy outward. It's more about putting your energy inward into yourself, into becoming a person of excellence and in whatever it is you do. Uh, yeah. One huge lesson I've learned, you just reinforced that. The other huge lesson I've learned uh, talking to so many successful uh, people in this industry like yourself is that uh, one person early in your career can have a huge influence on the rest of your career. And I huge, love, huge. And I love the influence you get into it deep in the book. This major D uh, will say his name, Carl say his last name for me. I want to make sure we're Carl Seipler. Carl Seipler. Seipler. Uh, yeah. The influence he had on you uh, because of how seriously he took his job. And did, did he see something in you? Did he recognize something in you at an early age? I, don't, I I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell. He he kind of, I, in in retrospect, after, after when I searched him, he kind of favored me. He kind of used me uh, when when he needed something in his office. Go to my office horse and get that. I'm the only one who knew the the combination for his drawer and so on and so on. So he must. I must have had a little bit of, uh, but it, it must have been. But he clearly he impacted me. But you said something very important. The internal here. It it it, it, it you know. It, it all I made as a young person done a decision. That's the internal part. I made a decision. I that's what I want to be. I want to stand out for excellence and define myself and gain respect and honor. Uh, as I was told, I couldn't have in my profession. So, and I knew then I knew I can by being truly excellent because he was accomplishing it, and I made that decision. The key thing here is decision. It's everything is decisions in life. I make the decision just to treat my job like a secondary thing, or I treat treat it or like it. That's not a feeling. If I leave it up to feeling, I leave it up to to the air. I can make the decision and control my feeling and feel good about it. I can make a decision that in my profession I can be excellent. Those are decisions. Mm. I love it. Thank you for getting into that. And uh, you ended up traveling the world, uh, taking jobs all over the world in hospitality, learning any key mentors, any big lessons in, in those yeah. travels. Yeah. I, I mean, there were several people. I, I, I can, I, I, an exciting guy 
later here in the U.S. was a dishwasher. Set two, who was the dishwasher? When you when you walk to his dishwasher, when he was working, everything was clean and beautiful. When he was not working, it was a mess around the dishwashing area, like it usually is. We all know that. But he was excellent. When I talked to him and said, why said two? Uh, why are you doing that? And, and it was his pride. And I said, if I do something, I do it right. Wow. That was no different than my Metro D. Or later, major influencers, Colgate Homes, who was, of course, a great hotelier for whom I worked for a while. Uh, 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 Pat Foley, president of of uh, Hyatt, who was a true was a great leader. Where you learned leadership from, where you, from, where, you, where you where I learned from that you that you align the people behind you by showing them where you should go, by showing them excellence again. So many people on the way uh, impacted me, but probably no one. Then Carl Seidler, my first major D, because I was 14, 15 years old. That's a very formative yeah. years. You know. Now, in between, I forgot about him and about accent, but every time when there was something, I was reminded, think about Carl Seidler. Think about what he to- said, come to work for excellence and not to fulfill a function. Yes, I love it. And one other really cool story that I pulled from your book, uh, when you came stateside, you're in New York City, everybody uh, was scrambling to go see uh, like the, the Eiffel Tower and all these like tourist sites. You, on the other hand, you, just, it, yeah, <laughs> you, you decided to go check out a hotel. Do you want to want to tell that story and how the impact? Well, yeah, well, I never forget. I never forget at that time, I worked for the America Line. We, we uh, landed in Hoboken. We were always in Hoboken. And of course, at that time, the turnover of a ship took two, three days, and we had plenty of times. So we all ran out. And for the first time, first time in America, in New York, outside, and, and we jumped in the taxis and said, Empire State Building and, and, and uh, Times Square and all those things that we went, one, two, and I went and said, Waldorf Astoria, because that was the dream that I had to see that. <laughs> it was more important to me than the, the uh, Statue of Liberty or Times Square or, or Empire State Building. I went there too eventually. But the first thing I wanted to see, and then I was staying in this beautiful lobby by the clock and said, oh, oh, how wonderful. And I felt chills to be in this great name hotel. For me, that was an unbelievable honor that moment. What I found that was really powerful about that story, when you were at the Waldorf Astoria, uh, you, you looked and you said to yourself, I want to be the GM of this hotel someday. That's right. And that's right. Dan. And I think you allude to this a lot in the book, the, the power of visioning, the, the power of having goals and to, and to make those visions, those goals yeah. come true. You became the GM of that hotel, did you not? No, no, not with the, not ever of the Waldorf. I was, of course, GM in, in a number of other hotels, yeah. but never of the Waldorf. Maybe I read it. You wanted to be a GM at a, at a hotel at the same level. Yeah, same, that's what it was. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yes. That's right. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I guess what, what, I mean, you get into it in the book, but what are some of the things that you believe, uh, helped you achieve your goals along the way? If we all have our own goals, how can we, uh, achieve goals like you were able to achieve goals? Well, it, it, it was a, I may, maybe I tell that story because it's, that, it, that makes it a little more uh, tangible. I worked uh, when I when I first came over. I worked in the Hilton in San Francisco as room service waiter. 
Now, my thought at the time was to go back to Europe after one or, one or two years. I didn't intend to stay here. I worked as room service waiter, and I knew I was a great waiter. I worked in the Plaza Aten in, in Paris. I worked in the Savoy in London. I worked in Borwash Palace and, and so on, in the greatest hotels of Europe. I knew I was a very good waiter. Uh, I, I had an inn, so my dream was in that place to be promoted to room service supervisor and then go back with a promotion behind me. Now, I had to go to another inn because the manager of room service was German. So I thought, oh, I have another inn here. I will be promoted in, in a huge organization. And a few months later, sure enough, somebody got promoted, but it wasn't me. And that really hurt me. And, and I, I blamed management being stupid and so on, natural thinking of an employee. It took me a few months to overcome my ego, my pain, and recognize that the guy who got the promotion deserved it more than I did. Not that necessarily it was a better waiter, but I went, was very young. I went out a lot in the morning. I forgot my mantra of excellence. I came late once in a while. I was obviously very tired once in a while. I wasn't excellent every day. And this guy was, and I recognized it. And I said to myself, this will never ever happen again. I'm going to make the decision again for excellence. I'm going to make the decision again for Carl Zeitler to come to work to be excellent. And if I'm going to be excellent, I'm going to be a little better than anybody else. Come five minutes earlier, I will succeed and will be the channel manager one day. And sure enough, a few months later, I was promoted. And I lift up to that mantra. Go to work to create excellence, to be special, to enjoy. It doesn't take more time. It doesn't even take much more effort, very little. But just be five minutes earlier. Say yes. Enjoy saying yes. And do the job excellently. Care for the people around you. Care for the guests. Care for your fellow worker. So, Make the decision to be excellent. That's all the talk. So I, I'm really curious. How What were the disciplines that you created in your life to not sacrifice on excellence to continue to show up with that same level of excellence day in day out what can we do in our life to to match that level of excellence it's, well, it's not easy I, to show I, up I, that, like that all the time i i realized that i had forgot i had drifted away somewhat so that was the, all those realization came up so i said how do i how do i what do i do to don't not let that happen again so I worked on constant reminders, and I, I did silly things that, that people may laugh about. I wrote on the mirror where I shave every morning. I wrote, think about excellence. And, and I, I, I had to remind myself every, every day, I have to remind myself what that means. And so, on. It, it's, so you work on it. It, it, it. First you make the decision, and then you work on it. It's not, it doesn't stay with the decision. It takes the implementation that gets you there. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I think also, too, the, the power of writing things down. I mean, you can make the decision one day, uh, yeah. but when you don't have those constant reminders every day to remind you of what your purpose is, you can drift. And it's so important to, to, exactly. to commit these things to writing, even if it's a writing on your mirror just for yourself. But before you can yeah. lead others, like, and you allude to this in the book, before you can lead others, you need to lead yourself first. You will never lead That's others right. until you lead yourself. Do you want to dive more into that? Yes, so important, I mean, when we talk about leadership, we always think about somebody else. Wait a minute. First, you have to lead yourself. 
Don't blame others. But it's easy to look at others' leadership. This way I can blame them. If you accept that you're the leader of yourself, there's nobody else to blame anymore. I love it. Um, so, I mean, let's kind of just totally just focus on the book now. Uh what was it exactly? Actually, before we d- really dive into the book and some of the, the key questions I have, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. It's the entrepreneurial myth, and I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's the idea that when you open your own restaurant, life is going to get easy because you get to do exactly what it is that you love, whether that's front of house or back of house. And then reality kicks in, right? You've got to do all this other stuff that comes with owning a business like taxes, HR, payroll, really boring stuff. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, HR actually easy for small business. And if you want to add on 401k or health benefits, it's a breeze. Those old school clunky payroll providers just were not built for the modern small business. Not to mention, you've got to compete with the big guys, but how do you compete with the big guys when you don't have big guy bucks? Well, with Gusto, that's how. Get back to doing what it is you love and let Gusto handle the rest. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you'll get your first three months free when you run your first payroll. That's Gusto.com slash Unstoppable. Again, Gusto.com slash Unstoppable. Okay, we're back. So let me ask you this. What was the uh, inspiration for you to write this book? Well, it's funny. I, I got to know Stephen Covey very, very well, who, who wrote uh, Seven Habits of Leadership and so on. And he, he constantly admonished me, you are supposed to write a book. You have to share your thinking. You, owned, you owe it to the industry. You owe it to people to write in and for leadership to write a book. I never did it. And, and, and then he passed away. And I felt really guilty when I heard that Stephen died that I never wrote a book, what he said. And then I thought, I'm going to write a book as a tribute to pe- to the industry, as a tribute to the people that were involved in helping to create Ritz Carlton and Capella later. In a way, as a tribute, because clearly something like that you never create by yourself. There, there are a lot of people there. I, I, I had this incident a couple of years ago, I went to the five-star award dinner in New York where all the five-star awards are being given and so on. And when I was introduced, there were about 400 people, they stood up and applauded. Well, and I stayed there with the realization they weren't applauding me. They were applauding the image that Ritz Carlton had created, the image that busboy, bellboy, doorman, chefs, waiters, maids had created. They were cre- applauding them because I, 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 let's face it, that, that it wouldn't have happened if in all the managers and all the leaders all together, they were uh, uh, applauded there. And, and I, uh, and I realized, well, you know, I, I have to write that book and, and kind of in a sense honor, honor them all. I hopefully, hopefully I accomplished that in a, in a way. I would say you, and of course, you absolutely you. accomplished that. Uh, and I didn't mean to cut you short. Do you want to finish your thought? No, no. And of course, of course, I had to say what I was thinking there at the same time. Uh, uh, clearly, I, I could. That was part of the thought. But that was uh, and in the book, say what I was thinking about those things, obviously. And I tried to tell stories that, that relate to all the needs to be a good leader to run a good business. 
Yeah, and I, I just realized we never even said that the title of the book, which is Excellence Wins, A No-Nonsense Guide to Becoming the Best in a World of Compromise. So uh, you break this book down into to three sections. Uh, and when I think when I was going through this book, something I say a lot, um, and it's I love the way you wrote this book because it, it kind of backs up what I say. Uh, behind every great restaurant is a great person, uh, and I mean, it's clear that this this book is an extension of your values, your 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 business morals, and all that. And you you're clearly a well-read person and uh, all the things that are in here. But I think a lot of people, when they write a book, they go and they regurgitate everything that they've read into and they, they summarize it into a book. But what you do in this book is you take everything that you've learned um, and then you build off of it. And I think that's what our goals in life should be is to go out there and learn and then to build off of what other people have already figured out. And like this sure. book is kind of um, your way of building off of everything that you have learned and you've compounded off of it to make it your own and you share it with the world and you break it down to three uh, sections. The first part is uh, serving your customers. The second part is engaging with your employees. And the third part is building true leadership. So yeah. man, yeah. where do you want to start? Uh, <laughs> like, why did you choose to break it down in three parts like that? Well, that's really that's really where it is. I mean, you you cannot discuss the full a full piece of business without discussing each of those elements. I have to discuss, of course, uh, and the, I have to discuss the customer, I have to discuss the employee, and you have to discuss how you accomplish that that which you talk about happens, and that's leadership. It's not management. Management may. Management may create a successful business, but management will not make it happen where people are aligned and do what I explained to do. Now, what is better? To control people, which is management, and force things to happen, which is good for, for the investors, for everybody, or create an environment in which the employee want to do what, they, what, we are, what we are set out to do. I would, would, would clearly submit it is better that employees want to do it. And that is created with leadership. Leadership goes forward. Leadership has vision. Leadership, and leadership doesn't stop as, as a certain element. And management stops somewhere. Leadership goes on and keeps on growing and gives opportunities. Leadership creates vision. And, and, you know, and that is a key element because and I and I'm, I think I referred to it in my book there. Aristotle made the study that people are fulfilled by having purpose and belonging. So if that is true, why wouldn't I give that to my employees? Meaning purpose. So with other words, make them part of my dream rather than and hire them for that reason rather than hire them to fulfill a function. You see, the chairs on which you're sitting and I'm sitting is fulfilling a function. We're dealing with human beings. And I want to make that very clear in there for all concerned. I want to make very clear what the customer wants. It's not enough to just do something, but do it in a way the customer wants it. Be market-oriented. Understand that. Once you understand that, have the right people, the right, and then have the right leadership 
to make it actually happen. Yeah. Uh, and I think the, the first, the first part and the second part of the book, understanding the customer, understanding the employee really, and you make this argument in the book is that this the business at the end of the day, business is all about people and relationships. And That's right. you, you write this book are almost making that argument the entire time. You really just teach how to, how to manage relationships uh, specifically with customers and specifically with uh, your employees. So let's start with the customers. Uh, if you could just summarize, like, what are the key takeaways like, as far as how to manage customers? What do you need to know to manage your customers? Well, well, how to become a great company? How to become a great company by uh, how I'm going to be successful in my company if I'm creating a the, a given product, whatever I'm doing. But if it is hotel business or if, if it's making shoes, it doesn't matter. If I make sure my product is more sufficient. To the customer means it serves the customer better than the prod, same product the competition provides. In that moment, I'm a good business. If at the same time, of course, I'm also efficient, that means I'm not wasting money, I'm a truly great business. But it, it stay with sufficient. I, in order to be sufficient to the customer, I have to, cost, I have to know what the customer wants from me. And once I know that, create processes behind that expectations to be sure I deliver it consistently better than the competition. Yeah. You, you mentioned uh, that there are certain customers that are just un or insatiable that you will never please them. Uh, and you really get some creative uh, solutions on how to handle these types of people. Do you want to dive into that? Well, uh, well, yeah, but, but there are very few. Yes. There, there, there are very few customers. And, and you see, the problem is, you know, look, look at it. We, we know statistically that the customers generally, they're, they're, they're satisfied with what you do if you do it well. But there's still people who will complain, will be unhappy. But we know that 96% of the people that complain only want to get rid of a little frustration that they had. The TV changer didn't work or whatever, or, or, or it was too slow. They, they, we, I, we didn't get our dessert for a long time, I didn't get my check, or whatever it is. We know they just want to get rid of frustration. So we have to understand that. So what, what do they want to hear? All they want to hear is say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And, and they're nearly embarrassed that they complain. But the next, done, and then there are about 3%, or even a little bit more than 3%, that even had a good reason to complain. If that is true, we have to do something to make remedies. Buying the dinner, whatever, because you don't want to lose it, because your objective overall should be never to lose a customer. That should be the objective. So, and then there is this less than 1% who are just complainers. They just want to complain. They want something. But it, but. You cannot shove that less than 1% into the other percentages. You have to understand, not, not everybody wants something. 96% don't want anything. They just want to say, we're sorry. I recognize what you're saying. I accept your frustration. But the, the 1%, well, we have, you know, we like to say in our business, in the restaurant business, particularly in the hotel business, every guest is right. Well, that's a good philosophy, but it's not true. It's not true. So the way we dealt with it, we said, all right, 
if there is this really outrageous guest, then we have to dismiss them out of our business. We have to let them go. We have to forget them. We have to say leave. And, and of course, we have worked on that. And in our case, I said I'm the only one who can say that. You can come to me for the dismissal of customer, but you cannot do it yourself because that's something you cannot delegate. That's the only thing we cannot delegate. Yeah, and you, you do it so gracefully, uh, the way you dismiss or the, the example you give in the book. Do you want to share yeah. that? There's this gentleman oh, sure. who was just outrageous. Yeah. Uh, I mean, totally outrageous. He was in one <laughs> hotel. I mean, totally outrageous. Outrageous. And the channel manager called me and said, look, this is this out. I know you don't want me to, uh, to throw a customer out, but this guest is so outrageous. Here's what he's doing. Every day he comes, complains how bad we are in my office for 10 days in a row. He's on the club level. He, a, a, a couple of the, the, the girls that work up there, the ladies that work up there, he pinched, and they're very upset. Whoa, okay, you let him go. Here's what you do. You double lock his door. You make a reservation in another hotel. When he comes, when, after he leaves the room, double lock the door. That means he cannot come in with his key. You make a reservation in another hotel. Excellent, there's the best hotel around. You have a limousine waiting, taking him there, etc. So when he comes back, he will complain. You tell him, our intent is that every guest is happy, and we have tried everything with you. We failed. Please forgive us. We now try another way to make you happy. Here's how we're going to do that. And, of course, he will get very upset, and he will find me. Those people find me. They found me. That's In this case, of course, I get my call. And he calls, and, of course, he was swearing. He was telling me that he will own me and the company and sue us and so on. And I told him, Mr. Miller, that obviously was not his name, Mr. Miller, if you sue me, I will show up in the courtroom with the ladies that you pinched. Just understand <laughs> that. Just understand that. No, no, of course, we never heard from him again, except about eight months later, I don't know exactly, I get a call from another hotel, and a channel manager said, Horst, we have a terrible situation here. There's this guest. I, I know you don't want me to throw a guest out. This guy, we have to throw out. There's a guest. He's in my office every morning complaining. No matter what I do, he still complains. He's on the club level. He pinched some of the ladies. I said, oh, Mr. Miller is there. <laughs> he said, how do you know? How do you know? How? I said, here's what you do. Same story. Yeah. When he told them, when he told them, Mr. Miller, we, we tried everything to make you happy. Now we tried another way. He said, oh, no, not again. <laughs> and we never heard from him again. I think that was it. For me, there, you know, there's two lessons to draw from the story. That for me, um, it, you got to, you have to just. I don't even know the, know the word. It's just at the end of the day, it, it's not about who's right, who's wrong. It's about solving problems. Uh, this person yeah. wasn't good for your team, and he wasn't good for the other guests. So you 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 removed him, and that's when like when when is the 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 customer. Or when is the, the guest wrong or the customer wrong? It's when they're, uh, you know, challenging the dignity of your employees and other guests, right? Or the integrity. That's right. That yeah. is exactly right. One or the other. One or the other. It, that that doesn't go. You cannot. You have to protect your. You are here to protect your employees too. You cannot. You cannot let that happen. And you cannot. And you cannot let him take away other guests from you. Mm-hmm. And and. So you cannot let that happen. It has so you have to make a stand, but you have to make that stand 
classy, elegant, yes. and gentleman. Yes, and that's the other lesson. No matter how inappropriate or rude or or just wrong this person's being, you have to be the better person. You have to handle it with grace, and and you basically you gracefully find solutions and that's how you handle these problems even if you're kicking somebody out you're not kicking them out to like the streets you're putting them in another fine high class rest or a hotel uh, that's going to take care of them and that's just a, a great lesson there Correct. Um, you can the, the point here is you cannot let somebody like that define you you have to stay the, the first class person yeah awesome lesson. ladies and gentlemen sir, ladies and gentlemen even yeah that's it i love it and um <laughs> you also uh I mean, any other lessons? I'll let you kind of freestyle here. Any other lessons regarding serving the the customer? I, I want to dive a little bit into uh, serving the 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 team. You you share four decisions, or sorry, uh, two fundamental desires everybody wants. I want to tap into those desires. Yeah. But anything yeah. else you want to add but regarding the, the customer? The, the, the customer, we 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 have to understand. The, the key element is. It, it's not what your mother tells you or, or, the, or, or your neighbor tells you. It's what the market wants to understand. Get, you have to get into the head of the customer and understand what the customer wants. Now, the fundam- here it is, and it's, it's not that difficult. And mind you, we spend a lot of money on that. Yeah. And I spend a lot of time on it. it, it the, the customer really wants the same thing. If, if you go to a restaurant or or get legal service, or buy shoes, or buy a hotel. It doesn't matter. There are three fundamental expectations that the customer has. Number one, they want the product to be defect-free. So you have to look at what you do and say, what are my processes, and how do I improve the processes so that the outcome of the product is defect-free? Number two, what they want, and, and, and listen to that one, it's unbelievably important. It's timeliness. They want everything now. Timeliness is extremely important. It doesn't matter if that is, if you ha- have to hold too long on the telephone or wait too long to get the, give in the order or for your check or what it is. It doesn't matter or the shipment is, is, takes too long. Timeliness is of extreme importance. So what are your processes so that you're timely? The next thing is they want caring. Now, let, let's put that in. I always use an example. You go in the grocery store and buy a bottle of water. What do you want? You want a defect-free bottle of water. That's subconscious. You want it when you want it. Also subconscious. And you want the people who give it to you, care for you, be nice to you. So those are the three things. By the way, the being nice is the greatest impact that you have on the opinion of that customer about your business. Wow. <laughs> so, what, so what's your process? Most people have a process for the product, for the timeliness, but not for the caring. So you have to have a process there. So if you do this right and then respond in addition to that, to the individuality of each customer, now you have a great product and great service. Beautiful. If you do, you know, it's, it's, it's really, and I explained that, of course, more, much more carefully in, in, at length in the book. So I, I think this is a good transition to the next, uh, the, this, this, the middle of the book, which is taking care of the guests. But I got to take another quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. 
So Revel Systems is a complete POS built to help grow your expanding business. I stand by Revel, and I can tell you why it's so great, but I'd rather get my man Colton Schultz, who's with Grain Junction Subs in the Craft Cave, to tell you why he loves Revel. We have been working with Revel for several years, who has partnered with us to streamline our operations. We have implemented delivery management, employee management, sales reporting, kitchen display screens, and so much more. We also utilize mobile order takers and kitchen display systems that are extremely customizable. Nice. So if there's just one thing that you love the most about Revel Systems, what would it be? It's definitely their vast reporting abilities on the back end. We utilize a lot of the reports such as speed of service, taxes, sales reports, labor reports. It's all there to help you run your business. Beautiful. Guys, and if you're listening to this, Revel works with businesses that are looking to implement cutting-edge technology that helps increase revenue, improve efficiencies, and enhance experience of their employees and their customers. To learn more, head over to revelsystems.com slash unstoppable. So this probably does not come as a surprise to you, but as you can imagine, I look at a lot of restaurant websites because I'm constantly researching my next guest, successful restaurateurs, and you'd be surprised how many of those people have bento box websites. I mean, I almost know instantly when looking at these websites because they're always so stunning and they always check every box, everything that a good restaurant website should have. These websites have them, and it's because they're going to Bento Box to get the work done. And not only will Bento Box leave a lasting impression with your guests, but Bento Box websites come with hospitality-focused tools that are proven to drive revenue online. With Bento Box, you can easily update menus, promote events, share press, sell gift cards, take catering orders, and book private events directly from your website. Bento Box puts you in control so you can focus on what matters most, your restaurant. Bring your restaurant hospitality online with bento box by signing up today at getbento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. So you just described to us uh, that, you know, customers want three things, defect free, timeless, and and they want you to care for them. Uh, How do you, and this is a good transition to uh, caring for your employees. How do you get your employees to care for your, your customer? Well, again, it's it's all process. It, it's not, you know, we've always said it's people, it's process. And even having the right people is process. It starts with the selection program, a selection process. Uh, how, do, how do we select in our business? <clears throat> we all know our business, the turnover in our business. So we don't select, we just hire. That's a serious mistake. That's why we have a turnover. Mm-hmm. It's a serious mistake. Getting more scientific in selecting people is the first process. The second process is orient them to who you are. Now, be with me here. That's very important. It's not just they come to work. What happens when a new employee comes to work? Let's be honest here. A new employee comes to work and the boss says, we're a team here. Pathetic team speech. We're a team here. Well, what's a team? A team is a group of people who work for a common objective, but the common objective is not given to them, to the new employees. The, good, the new employees understand this company, here's what we want to accomplish. And here's why. Really teach them. That has to happen the first day. Teach them the objective of the company and the motive, and then connect them to it. 
Yeah, but the I, other, I, I think the other variable too is also empowering them to live oh, the, sure. the, 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 the company mission, the, the company vision, the company yeah, core values. That, that comes next, but first comes the selection and the orientation. And then comes the teaching. Then comes the teaching. And, then, and that's alignment. And then empower them to be able to do that job without you looking over the shoulder. Yeah. Because on the end, they know that job better. We empowered, I mean, in Riscarden and in Capella, we empowered the employees and said, every employee, that, mind you, every employee has the right to make a decision up to $2,000 to keep the customer. Wow. You know, every employee. Well, why? Because there's nothing more than loyal customers. And they have to, and every employee is, is, should be responsible to make sure that their customer wants to come back and wants to recommend you. We measured that, by the way. We expected in Capella, and, and, and we expect 92% of the guests saying, top box, meaning a scale of 1 to 10, 10, I want to come back and want to recommend you. We measured that. And, and make sure that everybody does at least 92%. If they don't do 92%, I interfere. I get involved in that. Yeah. This is so important to keep the customer. How do I keep them? I have, I can't just say to the employee, keep the customer and don't give them the right to make the decisions. that make. What if they have a complaint? What if the guest comes down and the waiter in the morning says, good morning, sir. I hope you have a nice, had a, had a nice night. And he says, no, I didn't because my toilet didn't flush. In that moment, the waiter should say, please forgive me. In that moment, it's the waiter's toilet. Please forgive me. And in fact, I don't feel good about this. I buy your breakfast. He is empowered to do that. But he would not say, please forgive me, if he wasn't empowered to do something. Yeah. And you mentioned something else that's really or interesting that I found interesting. The first time I've heard this is that you train your employees to own the problem, not to say, Oh, we, yeah. we missed that or they missed that or management missed that. I, I apologize on their behalf. Even if you're not responsible yeah. for the issue, own it because the guest just wants to hear that somebody is responsible for it. Even if it isn't it, your problem. And that why is it, that so significant? It, it, well, it comes back to the 96% who are, only want to get rid of their problem or their complaint. They want to get rid of their frustration. If you don't take it on, they still have it. Mm. If you say, well, I will call management. In fact, we studied that. I think that's also in the, the for sure, that's also in the book, how the, the study that says, that, that says I, they want to feel like they felt with their mother. And when, when, you, when, the, when the boy went to their mother and, and said, uh, there's something wrong. Mother mother never said, I called the manager. Mother took the child in the arm. That's how they want to feel. We know that from the study. Mother didn't say, I called the manager and you can tell him. Then he's still, then he's still frustrated. I just want to get rid of my frustration. Because when you're, when you're defect or you're, when you're deflecting it to management, then the problem hasn't been owned yet. It hasn't been solved. That's right. If you immediately take responsibility for that, that's instant gratification that, that somebody is saying that I'm responsible for this and it's been addressed and you can start getting to a solution faster is I think the other. That's right. So, So you see empowerment was not the buzzword with us, which it is now everywhere. It's a buzzword. Empowerment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, we truly lift up to our 
story that uh, our employees are empowered. So you talk about selection, orientation, and empowerment. Um, dialing back to selection real quick, there's one key variable in the book that we kind of just skimmed over real quick. And it's when you, you know, how, how do you select the right people? I think you, you identify that you have to create that avatar, that, that picture perfect employee. What are their yeah. attributes? What are their yeah. habits? Well, what are their, do you want to get into that just a little bit before we start well, wrapping things up? Yeah, frankly, frankly, we use an outside company to help us with that called Talent Plus out of Talent Plus out of Lincoln, Nebraska. They helped us to take each job category that is from dishwasher to general manager and identify the talent that is needed and what are the winners, what are the uniqueness, what are the unique attributes of a great doorman, of a great dishwasher, of a great waiter, of a great general manager. So when we hired, after we had that profile, we hired against that profile, which is kind of fascinating. It was a, it came, and each shop cutlery had a fascinating profile. That, that I, 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 I tell this, the, the, the silly story. It's kind of silly, but it's it's kind of fun too and, and interesting. Like when we hired doormen, we knew <clears throat> that our best doormen after we developed that profile that our five best doormen in the company liked go- liked all gardening. Mm. They enjoyed gardening. So, well, <laughs> not, there are other attributes. Mind you, that's not the only one. Well, that means they like to be outside mm-hmm. and a doorman is outside. But, but if I don't know that, I would hire somebody like that and put them in the computer room, yeah. potentially, which they, which they would hate. Which they would hate. Yeah. You know? It kind of reminds me of your good friend, uh, Stephen R. Covey, uh, start with the end in mind, right? One of those seven habits of effective yes. people. And w- yeah. you have to think like that too when you're, when you're hiring. Well, what's the end? Like, what, what kind of person are you trying to hire? Identify, describe, really create that person in your mind and then try to hire to fit that exact person that you're looking for, right? That's right. The, the profile that we're looking for, but there's still, there's still a lot of individuality and I still don't know if there's smoke funny stuff or. Yeah. or- Take strange pills. I, I don't know that still, but I know. But you see, in the moment, if I'm if I'm able to hire a few percentage better than my competition, I'm hugely ahead of things. Mm. So that's why I went became more scientific. We became more scientific in hiring. Yeah. So. You wrap up the book. One of the the things that you cover are the four decisions a leader uh, can make to help bring. Uh, their vision to a pass. Can you just hit those four things? Then I'll ask one more question and we'll wrap it up. I realize we're a little bit behind our agreed upon time. I apologize, but I'm just loving this conversation. Yeah. I, I, I don't know where you're going here and forgive me. You know, so the four decisions a leader can make to help bring their vision to the past, uh, strive for strive to inspire, never settle for less. Let nothing cloud your vision and always look to improve. And don't make excuses. Don't make excuses. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you have to, you have to, a leader establish a vision for the organization. That's beautiful. That's down the road. That's desirable. That if you accomplish it, you will be proud. And, but once you have established that vision, you have to question yourself, is this good for all concerned? Is this good for my employees? Is this good for the customer? Is this good for the investors? And is it good for all concerned? If the answer is clearly yes, in that moment, I have to strive for that 
and I have no more moral right to deviate and make any excuses. Because if I deviate, I'm deviating against everybody this is about. Now I can make strong decisions. Now I don't compromise even if I have to let somebody go. Because gotcha. if I don't do that, I'm not making the morally right decision for all. Now, I have to also make sure now I can align again my employees, my, my, everybody that works with me behind a vision, say, here's where we want to go. And in that moment, there's a sense of belonging, which everybody knows, because now everybody belongs to the same vision. And I tell them the motive and tell them how they will benefit from those motives to be recognized, to have more opportunity, to have more income, to be honored, to have to 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 be to be proud. Yes. Now, you know, and so I have to connect my people to the motive and the objective. Now they're part of something and they're belonging, not just fulfilling a function, which again our the chairs on which we're sitting is doing. Yeah. So to, to kind of close up today's conversation, one final thought. Um, and this is something that I'm exploring. I'm really curious about uh, when you start small, uh, there seems to be a lot of impact. The The mission's clear. The relationships are strong. And then you start growing and you add more departments and you start diluting your, your bandwidth a little bit more, a little bit more. And eventually, whatever it was that made you special, the vision, the culture gets so diluted that uh, and you start increasing regu- you know, more and more policies, procedures to keep people in line and you get more focused on uh, protecting yourself and not getting in trouble and you lose sight of the, the mission, the purpose. Uh, I think a lot of companies, they get in trouble because they have their values are on growth and, and income and getting more money for everybody and it ends up hurting the business in the long run. And I'm trying to figure out why. And I think you kind of identify it. You, know, you create a bureau. Bur- sorry, a bur- I can't say this word. Bureaucracy well, in, in the in the, the bureaucracy. Yeah, it's bureaucracy. It's, it's bureaucracy. Yeah. What what happens is an incident in, in, in our in, in our case. Now I want to remind you, we we with fifty hotels about uh, off and on. We lost some, we gained some, and so on. With fifty hotels, Ritz Carlton, they were all rated number one in their market segment. Uh, in, in many co- different countries because the culture was permeating everything. But however, a, a slowly a bureaucracy never, never loves, evolves because something happened in one case, one area. What happens? And then, oh, we have to protect ourselves so it doesn't happen any, anywhere else. So a rule and a control is established. And then more and more, and it's bigger, more people get involved in creating rules, sometimes without need, and there you have a bureaucracy, and then the great tension happens between, between centralization and decentralization, and then all of a sudden, now the real problem happens. The company decides on re-engineering, which means, means nothing more but fire some people so we save money. Yeah. But I think the the thing that you alluded to that really stood out to me is when you create all this bureaucracy and you create all these rules and limitations, you restrict creativity and you restrict um, growth because people are limited to what they can do. They don't want to get outside of their lane. And that is so, so dangerous. Um, And I realize you got to get going. But do you want to reflect on that before we say goodbye? It it, it is a very dangerous thing. We have to we have to go back. And that's why a clearly defined written statement of vision and mission 
And, 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 and I, I get confused. Many people write mission statements are really mission statement, mission statements, and, and so on. But clearly defined who we are. That's why everybody had in writing in their pocket who we are. So we don't forget it. So it doesn't go away from us. So, so it becomes the, the guiding principle. Even if you make bureaucratic decision, it is guided by the principles of our thinking. Mm. And that's why it has to be in writing and clear everything. Yeah. So. I, th- I think one of the biggest lessons I learned is that if the companies that focus more on the culture, the core values, the, the going to the same place, the same mission, the same vision, and they, they put the emphasis on that and not so much on the regulations, the, the, the systems, the, po- the policies and all that. Because when you put too many systems and policies in place, you, re- you limit that creativity. And that creativity is where people find excellence, where they take their job to the next level uh, to come, kind of come full circle to talk about again. Uh, you know, excellence wins, right? And how can you be excellent if you're so restricted and you can't get creative? You cannot. You cannot. Think about it. This is the, the, the huge examples. In socialistic Eastern Europe, nothing came creative came out of there. Nothing, because people were controlled. No thinking, new, no new inventions. Nothing came out of there because they were controlled. It, it's the same thing. It is, it, why, why wouldn't it be the same thing in a business? That's what it is. You have to be very careful. People, people have to give, and, and there was a, a major survey made about 20 years ago, but 3 million blue-collar workers were asked what is important to them, Europe and Amer- in the United States. Many universities were involved in it. And the number one answer that they wanted is to have elbow room in their job, not money, elbow room, meaning give me, allow me to think about my job, allow me to make my job more creative for myself, in, in fact, better. I mean, it shows you, and we, we, but we control. Management, after a while, controls. That's why leadership doesn't control. Management controls. That's why no, no new thinking grows out of control. That's yeah, simple. I love it. Um, I've loved this conversation. Uh, I would love to talk to you more. I, there's a part of me that wants to invite you back to go over those 24 uh, service right, standards, too. I would love that. Uh, but we wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out. So who's somebody that you admire in this industry, somebody that you believe would make a great guest mentor like you made for me today? Who are Who is that person? Call them out. I'll try to get them on the show. Well, Colgate Holmes was one of the great people. Colgate Holmes was one of the real great people. I don't, he is retired, but he was one of the real great hoteliers. I don't mean businessmen. Businessmen and hotelier together. And that's the thing that I still admire. And of course, there are a lot of great restaurateurs that I admire. There are a lot of, a lot of hotel people that I admire, I admire still that are just, just, just great out there. Ed, Ed Medi, uh, hotelier. Uh, of the, uh, the, the channel manager and regional manager of the hotel, of the uh, uh, Beverly Hills Hotel in Los Angeles, uh, Ed Staros, who is running the, who is, who is still one of the founders uh, of Ritz Carlton too, who is running the, the Ritz Carlton in Florida, in Naples, Florida. And there's so many people. He's, yeah, they're all totally different, but yeah. but unique unique in managing and running exceptional good hotels consistently, Can consistently, you- not not up and downs, consistent. Thank you so much. I look yeah. out, guys. I'm coming after you. And again, just let the folks at home know if they are interested in your book. Is it available now? Uh, I know I got a early release, but is it available now if they want to go on Amazon and get this? Is it? If you got Amazon, you can order it, and it will be shipped within the next few weeks. Shipment start. 
All right, I'll have the links in the show notes. This is episode 579. So just head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 579. And again, Mr. Schultze, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show, to share your story, Great to share to your knowledge. You. You, are, you are awesome. I can't say enough. Man, can I just say what an honor it was to get a man like Horst Schultze on the show to uh, get into what he knows to be true about his success in such an incredible lifetime and in a career to condense it down in this past hour. I mean, we, we barely scraped the surface, but that's why you need to go out and pre-order Excellence Wins, a no-nonsense guide to becoming the best in a world of compromise. Uh, like you I'll have the links in the show notes. Just go. I don't know if you'll get it right away because this thing is literally fresh off the presses. You might have to wait a week or two, uh, but get over there, pre-order it. Make sure you get you get this thing on your bookshelf. And the big takeaways for me in today's conversation uh, is that, or in, not in just today's conversation, but in his book, is that if you approach life with excellence, no matter what it is you're doing, you can be proud of it. And when you reach that level of just being proud of your work and taking it to that that personal level where you're you know not focused on the outside world but on the inside world what's happening with what's right in front of you and what you have control over you can get into that state of flow that state of pride that state of i am the best at what i do and that's so powerful and uh communicate that to your people help them get to that place also be mindful of the impact you have on others really be mindful of the the way you conduct yourself because you have no idea your influence on the next generation. And I think uh, Horst's mentor, Carl Zilzer, I'm pretty sure I'm saying that wrong. I apologize. um, Just did his job with excellence and pride and and look at the impact he had on Mr. Schultze. So, so powerful. And I think the last lesson is that, you know, great customer service starts with creating processes to meet the guest expectations, but really great customer service comes when you exceed guest expectations and that happens when you allow your people to be creative and to own their work and to own their job so you gotta find that balance and uh, that's what i'm kind of here to learn i don't know where that balance is but i hope to discover it over the years to come and hopefully you guys discover that with me uh so awesome stuff today just so many great nuggets in today's conversation and in his book go get it and uh guys like always please do reach out to me eric at restaurantstoppable.com keep those five-star reviews coming Please sign up for my email list. You can find that over at restaurantunstoppable.com. It's right there. The pop-up will hit you in the face. I apologize, but I got to build that list. And uh, join the community. Uh, Join the conversation. Let's do this together. Let's transform the industry. All right, guys. That's it for today. Until next time, peace out.